Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for love of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Peter Schwanda, and I love summer. Growing up in Maine, it was my favorite month. Now I get to celebrate it for a whole season. And while I don't love the heat and humidity, I do love all of the gathering with friends and family, mostly because they revolve around food. At the end of the month, I'll go up to Maine to spend time uh, with Mimi and my extended family up there, and I can almost taste the melted butter and the lobster that we'll enjoy there. I would bet for you that summer brings some memories, or perhaps you've had some recent celebrations, friends, family around good food. And while good food is certainly essential for our physical life, I find that these gatherings are much more satisfying than just my physical hunger. As humans, we know that we're hungry for more than just food. The Bible reminds us that man doesn't live on bread alone, and I think that we could say that we're hungry for relationships, hungry for truth. We're spiritually hungry for a taste of eternity. In our passage from John this morning, we find Jesus shortly after feeding the 5,000 declaring that he is the living bread. As Luke puts it in his gospel, life is more than food. And Jesus brings a spiritual life that is satisfying beyond just physical sustenance. Our passage comes between Jesus feeding this crowd and the crowds gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. And in the midst of this, Jesus teaches the crowds and his followers, these pilgrims, he tells them to come, to see, and to taste of this life that he offers. And so the invitation stands for us as we look at John 6 today. First, Jesus tells the crowds what it means to come to God. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, this is a pretty common theme. In John 1, Jesus encounters uh, some curious, actually, disciples of John, and he invites them to come and see. The next day, Jesus finds Philip, eventual disciple, and says, follow after me, come to me. And then Philip tells his friend Nathaniel, come and see. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, come and follow Jesus. Or if you were here for last week's message, come and believe in Jesus, who is the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 47, if you look at our passage in John 6, reminds us truly, truly, that's Jesus' favorite phrase anytime he wants to emphasize something. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So we're supposed to come to Jesus, but what does that actually mean? Look at verse 37 with me. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And verse 44 continues, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So how do we come to Jesus? Well, first, no one comes unless God draws them. God is in control. It's God who sent Jesus in human form as the bread came down from heaven to us. But as humans, we also have agency. We also have a responsibility. We come to Jesus. And Jesus promises in this verse that he will never let us go 
if we come to him. That should be reassuring to us. There might be reasons that you point to in your life that you think are beyond your control, reasons that are why you consider yourself a Christian or believe in God. Perhaps the family that you grew up in, perhaps circumstances in your life that have happened that you look at them and you say, that must have been God at work. Maybe God has drawn you in unique and maybe even hard to explain ways. I think Philip's testimony that he graciously shared with us is certainly an example of God drawing Philip. But faith is also a personal choice. It's not something you can be forced into. I've learned recently uh, with our little baby Molly that at some point when you're feeding an infant, you can't force feed them a bottle. They just purse their lips and give you a furrowed brow look. And I think similarly, God isn't going to force feed you the bread of life. It needs to be something that you take agency in. But what does this look like? What does it look like for us who live after the time of Jesus to come to him? Verse 45 in our passage says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the fathers comes to me. So all who listen to God, all who are taught from his word to us in scripture, it's those who actually come to God. So for us, coming to God this week is simply setting aside time to hear his word, like you're doing now, perhaps to read it this week, to listen to what God has to say. And why is it that we come to him? Our passage gives us a promise here. Verse 47 says, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You eat of it, you will not die. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live together, live forever. We come to God because he draws us and because we choose to follow. We come by listening and learning from his word. And we come because Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger as well as our relational hunger, our hunger for truth, our hunger for eternity. And according to John, this is why Jesus came. Verse 39 says that this is why, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. But in verse 40, it continues, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So it's not just coming, but it's also looking on Jesus. It's seeing Jesus. Now, given that this whole passage is set within the context of a metaphor, I don't think he's being literal. He's certainly not excluding those who are blind or those of us who are nearsighted. This isn't a literal seeing. Verse 46 says that no one has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And Colossians gives us a great picture of what this means for us. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So for us, it's a reversal of the common phrase. For us, believing is seeing. To see God, we must see Jesus. And Jesus takes it a step further. He says that those who, who believe in him without actually seeing him, it's those who are truly blessed, and that includes us. But I think there's a challenge to this. The first is that there are lots of things that we see regularly, but that we don't really see. Quick story, uh, when I was finishing my freshman year in college, I came home uh, to my parents' house for the summer, 
our neighbor happened uh, to have a painting company, and I was surprised to find that he'd painted his house blue while I'd been away at school. And so I asked my mom, oh, when did the neighbors paint their house? She said, 10 years ago. <laughs> Perhaps not as observant as I thought. I think there are other times when we actually do see something, but what we see gets in the way of our faith. Maybe for you, you've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by Christians. You've been hurt by those who see or act or say things that cause you to have not, want to have nothing to do with God. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. I hope that you'll have the courage to forgive them, and I hope that you'll be encouraged that you coming to God depends a lot more on the God of the universe drawing you than it does on those who might have hurt you. If you look at our passage, we see that the crowds grumbled about Jesus and his claims, as if they were saying, we know where he comes from, we know what he's like, but it's clear that they missed really seeing Jesus. Don't let excuses get in your way of seeing Jesus. Don't grumble. You might remember the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness. They grumbled. They grumbled because they thought it would have been better off for them to stay in Egypt in forced labor than to wander in the desert on this adventure with God. In other words, they were willing to trade in the life that they had wandering, being provided for by God, for their life of slavery, all for a good meal. Seems like a poor trade-off. God, to remind them, provided a miraculous meal, manna and quail, and he reminded them they'd missed out on something. They'd missed seeing the God who provides, not just food, but true life. So hear Jesus' invitation to come and to see. And in case you, like I, grumble when you're hungry, there's a symbolic meal for Christians, which reminds us of the foretaste that God provides a great banquet in heaven. I'll be honest, I can identify with the Israelites, and maybe you can too. Hands up if you sometimes get hangry. If your hand isn't up, I'm assuming it's because you don't know the meaning of the phrase, so I'll explain. Hangry is when you are hungry to the point that it affects your mood for the worse. Oftentimes, I don't realize this until it's too late. I think that in our world where we live in relative comfort, we live in a place where we can provide for ourselves and meet our own needs quite easily, we don't often feel or recognize the needs that we have until it is too late. Sure, sometimes that's for food and we get a little hangry, but more perhaps poignantly, we don't recognize our need for relationship, for time with our families, for our spiritual needs. We don't always recognize our hunger. Now I can tell you from my recent experience with Molly that babies do recognize that need and they make it known quite loudly. It's incredible how they can go from being completely asleep to all loud cries in a moment's notice. Imagine if we had the same response when we recognized a need that we had. What if we cried out when we had a spiritual need or a need that others 
might fill, that God might fill for us. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is a nourishment that we need from God daily. Physical food is obviously a daily necessity, and so is spiritual food. They're universal needs. Scripture even compares us to babies. It says that we are to long for God's word in in order to grow just as babies long for milk. And so we pray, give us this daily, give us this day our daily bread. Come to God daily. Imagine for me, if you will, that you were to purchase season tickets to the Kennedy Center this season. If you do and somebody can't join you for a show, let me know. But imagine you were to do that. You're one of the lucky holders of the tickets. You go and you pick up your season ticket to the box office. You come back across the river, never to return, not even when Hamilton comes to center stage. How foolish! You would have been extended a great opportunity to return, to enjoy the celebration, and you would miss out. Coming to God isn't a one-time thing. You don't punch your ticket. These crowds, they came to Jesus, they'd seen him feed the 5,000, and they thought, well, I'm just going to get my ticket punched for a free meal, free lunch for a lifetime. Jesus had some familiarity with hunger. After fasting 40 days in the desert where he was tempted by the devil, he says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as a reminder that this isn't a literal passage, but a metaphor, I remind you that the church actually has a resource which could be a daily meal for you. It's called the lectionary. There are readings from God's Word that would be a great meal that has been set for you already at the table. You don't even have to cook it. You just consume it. Isaiah says in chapter 55, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. I think for me, one of the greatest reminders of abundance or pictures that we have of God's goodness is the celebrations that come with weddings. I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, that he taught parables about being invited to such feasts, that the prophets spoke about God preparing this lavish banquet for all peoples, and that even in Revelation, we hear these words, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mimi and I were uh, delighted to be invited to a wedding that was down in Charleston this last weekend. The invitation was elegant, the couple, good friends, the chapel and the reception location promised to be beautiful. But an invitation means little if you don't actually come, if you don't look at the delighted face of the groom as he sees his bride walk down the aisle, if you don't celebrate and taste the feast. Friends, this is the same offer for us. You are invited to God's feast, but you have to come. And don't just show up. Take a look around. See who the celebration is all about. Jesus, the bread of life who gave his very flesh for the world. And that bread of life is more than just manna. It's food that gives eternal life. In the words of Psalm 34, which we read earlier, O taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'd like to close by sharing a prayer that I read this week. Uh, A friend of mine just finished his doctoral thesis uh, in seminary, and he shared this prayer, which I found particularly appropriate for this week's lectionary reading from John 6. And so I will uh, invite us to pray and and pray this prayer, invite you to reflect during that time, and after that, uh, we'll have a brief musical meditation. So I encourage you to join me in prayer uh, and reflect on what we've heard from God's Word. Lord God, your word says, he who has no money, come buy and eat. But what if I'm not hungry? What if I do have money and can buy things, even things beyond my basic needs? I don't know if I've ever truly felt a thirst that was unmet. God, your word says, why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Why is it at the end of the day, when the world tells me all is well and I should be satisfied, that I feel there is something missing? My labors seem to bring myriad comforts, yet made me ignore that which will satisfy my deeper needs. Show me my need. Show me your grace and your provision. Help me to know hunger. When the comforts of my life threaten to drown out the still small voice that tells me of my need for you, let me feel my spiritual drought. Bring me to the place where, despite the world's riches, I am hungry so that I may seek and find you, and in you only be satisfied. And God forbid that I should focus only on myself, when there are those who thirst and hunger, physically and spiritually, those who have no currency, those who through addiction or mental illness are homeless or alone. Provide for them, and make us ever more generous in stewarding your resources toward them. Amen.